Welcome to Relaunch, the real estate podcast focused on helping you find your success in real estate. My name is Lauren Cooper. I am an active real estate sales representative just north of Toronto, Canada. The whole purpose of this podcast is to bring you actionable content by interviewing the best of the best in this business, helping to take you from zero to hero in your real estate career. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. That is the Real Estate Launch Podcast. My name is Lauren Cooper, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Marguerite Martin. Marguerite, how are you? I'm great. It's good to be here with you, Lauren. I know. We met each other about six or seven years ago and haven't seen each other face-to-face since, but have kept in touch uh, over social media and such, so it's been been a fun journey. Oh, we have a visitor. Yes, that's uh, my uh, roommate, Matilda. <laughs> so for those listening, a cat just came into the background or a miniature tiger, so it looks like. Anyway, um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? Maybe tell us about where you're at today because you have a very unique situation, and then we'll go backwards in time and figure out kind of where you started from. So what's your business sort of looking like today? Uh, well, I've, I've been in for 14 years. I started in 2005, um, and I had a pretty traditional business for the first five or six. We had a pretty, I don't know if you heard, Lauren, but we had a pretty massive uh, economic downturn <laughs> in the real estate industry. In Something the United States. about that, yeah. Yeah, in the county that I was in, Pierce County, Washington, um, our, our properties across the board lost about 40% at the bottom. So most people could not afford to sell. Um, during that time, most of the property sales were not fair market sales, as we call them. They were foreclosures. They were short sales. Normal people selling their houses. It was just extremely rare. Mm -hmm. So I stopped working with sellers during that time and then never started again. So that was like 10 years. Actually, that was like 10 years ago. So I, I, I stopped working with sellers four years into my career. And really focused on buyers. And focused on buyers, which was fun during the downturn and then you know as the market began to recover it got a bit harder but my the, the thing that came out of that was um niching and specialization so i do a lot of marketing and i market to my niche and everybody else i have a very narrow geographic focus downtown tacoma and the immediate surrounding areas everything else got referred out basically 2009 2010 on i just started referring out everything that was not in my niche and um that kind of developed a muscle in referring that sort of overtook everything. So eventually I launched a website called move to Tacoma.com, which is kind of my main gig now. And it's a podcast, it's videos, it's blogs, it's all kinds of stuff. And that attracts enough clients that I'm actually able to refer 100% of my business out and live off of that. And that's been going on for a little over a year and a half. And four months ago, I decided to test it, <laughs> and I moved to Portland, Oregon, where I don't know anybody, and that's where I am right now. <laughs> Amazing and very unique. That's awesome. So let's go back in time for a minute and talk about what drew you to real estate. What, what were you doing before you got into real estate? Uh I had like a hundred jobs before I got into real estate. I'm exaggerating. I probably had 15 jobs. You know, I was 25 years old. Um, I, I didn't go to college. I think I did a little stint at community college, but I had a lot of weird jobs. Like I worked in, at an airline at the ticket counter. I worked at a local NPR public radio affiliate um, doing marketing. I hung like most immediately right before I got into real estate, I was hanging sheetrock for like a commercial union outfit, which was wow. by far 
the hardest work I've ever done in my life. It was a year of hell, basically. Um, and I was actually, I was at a wedding with an old friend from high school and we were talking about it. He's like, what are you doing hanging sheetrock? And I'm like, I mean, it pays really good. And he was like, you should get into real estate. And he was a realtor and he was like one of my closest friends. And we had the same sphere of influence. Basically, it was a very generous thing he did. He's like, I know I'm going to lose half my business, but you should do it. You would probably be good at it. And so I did. And the rest now, is history. Rest is well. I mean, you know, like I think I, I taught some classes this week about my business model and trying to help agents in my office do more referring. And um, I think people think that I just like walked into this. And like the truth is, like most people who are doing something, you know, interesting, it was actually effing hard and like made a lot of mistakes and I'm was sure. really for a while but yeah the rest is history it was like super easy i just like walked into real estate <laughs> <laughs> yeah big success right off the bat all right so let's get into the details not a big success off the bat uh, well you and me both so let's <laughs> talk about your first year in real estate uh what was it like your your first few days even did you know what to expect how did you go about even starting to build a business yeah i was overconfident <laughs> You know, I'd bought a couple houses by then from this friend. Um, my first house was a duplex. My second house was like a foreclosure. And I really thought um, I'm really friendly. Um, I'm a hustler. Like, I'm definitely going to have lots of clients. Like, I'm going to be really good at this. I like houses. And I remember, like, my first broker was like, uh, you're going to probably hate people, really soon and it's really not about the houses and you know you need to like you're really soft basically I would get very emotionally involved with my clients he's like you really need to stop doing that and it's gonna take you a while to make money like I was like whatever I'm gonna be like I'm gonna blow their minds I'm gonna be so good and of course it took like six months to close a deal like it was yeah. super painful. I remember my first deal, like we were next door at the bar and I was like drinking vodka cranberry and crying because my client was really mad at me for something that, you know, in retrospect was absolutely not my fault, but I totally internalized it. And I was like, I think the universe gave me a really hard deal to make me strong. And he's like, no, no, it didn't. This is a normal deal. You're going to have to get stronger. And I was like, oh God, you know, <laughs> the start was rough, Lauren. The start was rough. And also I started in a rural community. Like I grew up kind of in the suburbs and I was doing like investors and duplexes and raw land and double wides on five acres. And, um, you know, that's not my life now. I live a very urban life. Uh, you know, I try not to drive. Like what was I doing there? I don't know. Thankfully, I figured it out after a few years and like moved to the city and like shifted. But it took me a while to figure out who did I like working with? What kind of properties did I want to work with? Who liked and trusted me naturally? And did I deserve to work with those people? Like that was when I think of the first few years that a lot of confusion is what I remember. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. There's a lot of figuring out going on. And uh, so how did you even get your first few deals? Did it come from your sphere? Did it come from prospecting? What happened? My best friends, like, yeah, my, my best friend was a nurse and a nurse she worked with needed to sell her house quickly. And that was the first deal that closed. Before that, I'd had four listings. I thought I was a badass. I had four overpriced listings that nobody wanted to buy, referred to me from family. I had one referred from my broker. Like I had all these like really crappy listings that didn't sell. And then hers it was just like that. Yeah, that's got to play with your confidence a little bit in the beginning when you've got all that going on and you're like, well, nothing's actually happening. And this is how we learn, right? It's you think <laughs> like, you know, all I need to do is stick my sign in a yard and then like I just get paid in 30 days, right? 
So you're really one of the masters and early adopters of content marketing and all of that. When did that come into play? You know, for me, it started with personal marketing, and that was a fateful visit to my office by a company called Hobbs Herder in uh, the U.S. They're based out of Newport Beach. Um, they were much bigger in the mid-aughts, um, kind of in the pre-internet time, and um, they just introduced the concept of working by attraction to me. I'd never heard it, and even niche marketing really didn't understand what that meant. And they came in and said, like, there are people out there that have beautiful marketing materials that tell their story, that make people like them before they meet them, and more so, like, they make specific types of clients like them before they meet them, and that is marketing. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I mean, I kind of I mean, I kind of knew what marketing was. You know, I'd worked in, like, marketing for a radio station, but I hadn't really thought, oh, I'm the product. The, the house isn't the product. I'm the product. I'm the thing that, that the client has to choose and I need to be packaged and sold, especially as a young person, because at that point I was 27, 28, you know, like I, I, I really need to show people that I'm the best before they meet me. And so that was, you know, glossy brochures and at the time, you know, a custom website, which was very unusual. And then, um, you know, really nice flyers, really nice full color, double-sided, large postcards, you know, like that was the school of thought that they introduced. And, and also like everything you do is for your ideal client. Like you don't spend time, you don't spend money marketing to anybody that isn't your ideal client because everybody else still comes. Right. So just target the people you want the best. And that was, I mean, they really like that. I received that information and I went all in on that idea. I like did not have that money to, to invest in, in good marketing and I did it anyway. And it was like kind of a hail Mary and it, it worked. And then as the internet came along, I was really stumbling, but as I, when I moved to the city, I went to a co-working office where there were lots of other like internet people, no other realtors, um, which by the way, I recommend to anyone in real estate that wants to freshen things up, like work out of a co-working office for a few months because it's very invigorating the cross pollination you get with other professionals. And they were like, they were cool. And, uh, real estate blogging, the conversation around real estate blogging in 2008 was not cool. Uh, everybody was writing about like interest rates and, uh, well, which we still do, right? They were writing about really boring stuff. And m these people were like, write about something interesting, write about something we want to actually like read about. Right. So that I can't take credit, but they kind of set me on the right path. And then after a few years of just regular real estate blogging and doing some video, that's when I launched moved to Tacoma with the podcast and went all in on community based marketing instead of real estate marketing. So no IDX, no interest rate posts, just if people like and trust me as a community expert, they'll figure out that I'm a realtor and they'll send me clients. And okay. that was that was the philosophy. All right, so let's dig a little bit deeper into each little subsection of that. So in the beginning, you started blogging like everybody else does about you know real estate and statistics and that type of thing. Um, how often were you blogging? Were you getting any kind of feedback from that at all? I'd love to tell you, like, I had the intention of like three times a week, and like, this is it's gonna be bargain watch on Monday, it's gonna be market report on Wednesday, and like, I have never been that kind of blogger. I'm a batch blogger, so like, I'll do any kind of content I do. I tend to like sink into a zone and create as much of it as I can, and then like meter it out. But it it tends to come in fits and starts. I've never been a particularly consistent content creator. It's my it's my Achilles heel. It's my El Guapo. <laughs> okay, but over time, you are amassing a, a good amount of content. So yeah, I've got hundreds, hundreds of posts. Right. Absolutely. Where were you in your career? How many years in before you started doing this? 
uh, I think my first blog was after NAR 2008, and that would have been three years in. And then uh, moved to Tacoma was 2015, March of 2015 we launched. So that was uh, 10 years in. Okay. So for the first three years, did you try any kind of active prospecting or was it all sphere influence? The first three years of my business? Yes. Uh, open houses, floor. Uh, I sat site for new construction. Um, that's it. I didn't know anything else. Oh, I did a really expensive ad in a real estate magazine. That was like my first month. I was I'm, like, I'm sure that produced a lot. This is how you show people that you're a big deal. And that was a very disappointing experience that every agent in my office tried to tell me not to do. And I was like, I know what it means to be successful. <laughs> hey, at least they knew enough to tell you not to do it because in some offices, everyone's all about that, right? So you never really know. Okay. Couldn't tell me nothing. Hmm. I learned my lessons the hard way. That's the moral uh, of the story. You and me both, kid. All right. So uh, you're now into starting blogging, not super consistently, but in batches, and you're doing it really about real estate rather than community uh, or specific. About, about real estate and about for, I, I was focusing especially on bargains, like because that was interesting to me. Like my whole city was a bargain. The condos in particular had lost fifty four percent of value. So I just couldn't believe it. I was like, here's a really awesome lot for $100,000. Like someone should buy this. And I was actually interested in that. So that would get some traction. I think that the thing that was happening at the time that um, most of the industry wasn't really picking up on yet was Facebook. So Facebook was still seen at that time as like um, a place you go to waste time, a place that kids were, like respected professionals were not on Facebook. There was no business page, but I could distribute content through Facebook. And that's where I, I think the blog wasn't actually all that great, but Facebook and Twitter gave me a lot of reach. And I was in a small market, you know, a city of 250,000 people, and it, it permeated. I was the only game in town. So I, I got very lucky. You couldn't probably be as, as confused and inconsistent as I was then today and have the same level of success. When I launched Move to Tacoma, it was a much different game. I'm sure, yeah, things have developed. Okay, so... You were pushing out your content through social channels. Were you doing it in a promoted type of way? Was that even existent at that point? Or was it just organic? You know, if, if, if it was possible, I didn't know about it back then. Okay. Yeah, I was sharing it out, just sharing it out and hoping it ranked. That was the thing, like Googling all the time, trying to figure out, you know, what are the keywords? You know, how do I talk about something that'll help me rank for things that people I wanted to work with would be searching for? And that's when I started to understand the difference between like, the keywords that everybody was chasing, like Tacoma real estate, Toronto real estate, and started thinking about safe Tacoma neighborhoods, good Tacoma neighborhoods, good Tacoma schools, Tacoma real estate agent reviews, like really dialing down those longer tail search results and writing content for that. It took so me a while. That's, that's really interesting, and that's definitely how it should be done, uh, more so than those generic you know, real estate in this city terms. How did you go about researching these topics and coming up with the content itself? I mean, I, I would just talk about things that I was doing every day and, and thinking about the questions that my clients were asking me. And, and most importantly, like zeroing in on my ideal clients. I, I, I made mistakes in those early days blogging about things that I thought I should blog about or that I thought like the internet would like and, and not realizing that those topics would generate clients that i I still get, I wrote this blog about a 450 square foot house in Tacoma. Cause I mean, that's super weird. Like a stick built house. And I called it a tiny house. 
because I knew that tiny houses were cool. Like people were talking about tiny houses. And I did this whole blog about like, you could actually finance this and blah, 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 which you can't do with a real tiny house and because they're trailers. And um, <laughs> I still get so much heat on that post because if anybody Googles Tacoma tiny house, like it must, I must still be ranking really well because I get posts, people all year long being like, I want to buy a tiny house in Tacoma. And I'm like, there aren't any. Also, that's a terrible idea. That's like not even an investment. Like I did the wrong thing. So I learned through trial and error, like things that made the phone ring sometimes were not ringing right. You know, like you, you, you kind of have to dial it in. Mm-hmm. And, and let's talk about that for a second. So once you figured out who your audience was, can you maybe describe your audience and how you yeah. went after them? Singles, childless couples and gays in downtown Tacoma and the immediate surrounding neighborhoods. And again, like I'm not violating fair housing here. It's not like I wouldn't work with families or whatever. I worked with whoever, you know, like of was course, nice, right? But, and who was in my geographic niche. But if I was gonna spend money and I was gonna spend time, like I knew who liked me the best and I knew who trusted me most easily and who I clicked with. And I would, I would think about it and I, I still kind of describe it when I'm talking to other agents about niche marketing. I'm like, think about saving your ideal client from a subpar realtor. Or real, even a good realtor that's just not a good fit. Like if we've ever like been in an open house and like locked eyes with a client and you're like, oh God, I know we're both sad that you're with that agent right now because like clearly we're supposed to be together. It's like that. Like write content for your ideal clients to save them from other agents. Okay. Because and- they don't know who we are where they can't choose us. Right, exactly. Now back in the day, I'm sure it's changed since, but did you have a particular format or style to write in? Just and it was written content mostly at that point, right? Yeah, mostly written content. Video didn't start until like 2013 for me. And I had so many hangups about writing. I have a lot of empathy for agents when I say like, you should try blogging. And they're like, oh, I just, I don't like, I had to read. I think I have the book over here somewhere. The right to write, writing down the bones. I have like 15 hippie books about writing that I think are supposed to be for like novelists, but like. I didn't, I, I felt like writing was such like a sacred, important thing. And I didn't go to college. I'm like, people are going to see my typos. People are going to think I'm stupid. Like, you know, I want people to think I'm smart. And like my writing, I felt like it wasn't up to speed or something. Maybe you might be in my head. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and all I can say is like, I go back and read those early blog posts. And yeah, I mean, they're a little clunky, but like, my voice was in them. I didn't try to strip myself out of them and they're charming. Like, and I think most people, if they just get real and they do their best, their blog posts are charming and eventually they are good. Like I read Stephen King's book about writing. It's called On Writing. And in it, he says, if you want to be a good writer, you've got to read. And I just really took that seriously and just read a shit ton of blogs. And um, and they didn't have to be about real estate, but just observing formatting, observing writing styles, observing like when do they paragraph break, when do they pull quote, like how do I want mine to look compared to others, and that's kind of how I develop my voice. And I think anybody out there who's like, oh, I didn't go to college or I'm not a good writer, like yeah, nobody's a good writer until they write a lot. So just get her done because you need your clients to find you. It's very important work. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one second. I got to take a break. One sec. I got to stop something. Okay. 
sorry, I had some extraneous noise happening in the background that I had to stop. Sounds so. like a washing machine. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the hot water tank. So I've got this little studio set up in my basement here, which isn't really finished. And then the hot water tank just starts going off. It's the first <laughs> time that's happened. Real life. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, we'll pick up where we started. Okay. So with regard to content then versus now, uh, how would you say it's changed in terms of writing content? I, my whole approach is different now. And I think that, that the shift that happened was moved to Tacoma. And when I started that website, it felt like kind of a risk because for some, I, I don't remember even like where the idea exactly came from. But the idea was if I talk about community and not real estate, people will actually read it. <laughs> you know, because if you think about like the life cycle of a, a transaction of a person transacting real estate, like when you're buying, you're thinking about real estate, when you're selling, you're thinking about real estate, but there's that whole time in the middle and, um, you're referring people during that time, you know, like, and you're not thinking about your agent and you're definitely not reading your agent's real estate blog during that time, unless maybe you're like one of those HGTV obsessed people and you just want to look at like house porn pictures, right? Which I've never been that kind of agent blogger anyway. So people really weren't, I think, following me for that. So the idea was I'm going to talk about the community. I'm going to talk about the restaurants and the neighborhoods because Tacoma wasn't a sexy place. It wasn't a place where people were like, I'm moving to Tacoma. This is such great news. It was like, where the hell is Tacoma? And isn't that like a crime ridden, terrible place? And it's not, it's an amazing place. And that's what I talked about was like, so if you go on the podcast, we have like a little song at the beginning of the podcast and it's like, move to Tacoma, you'll like it. Like it was, it was very like this open hearted, like you should come here. And, um, I was so innocent. I thought everybody would love that. And everybody did not love that. <laughs> that was, that was the first, first lesson of move to Tacoma was that people in Tacoma were not super excited about me telling everybody else to move to Tacoma. They wanted to keep it small and for themselves. Yeah, I think they had um, what I now understand, golly, four years later, the world is a different place in 2019 than it was in 2015. Um, America is definitely a different place. And, you know, they had concerns. They had concerns about gentrification. They had concerns about, you know, one of the big movements of people were people coming from Seattle who couldn't afford the Seattle market because of Amazon. You know, their prices are double ours and they're only an hour away. So you'd have people you know, making $150,000 a year moving to Tacoma who could just like do whatever the heck they wanted with our $220,000 median home price. They could buy anything they wanted, you know, and um, people in Tacoma couldn't afford to compete with that. And at first I was like, oh, that's kind of an overreaction. And then it really started to happen. And I was like, oh, and I was profiting off of it. So right. my people coming in through my website, who would have come anyway? Like, it's not like I think I'm, you know, I didn't cause it but I was benefiting from a pretty terrible situation that was impacting my neighbors and impacting my friends. And that began like a whole personal journey around like learning about the history of racism in my city, learning about the impacts of like our economic development strategy, which isn't super great. Like, and, and the, the tone of the podcast, the tone of the blog post, the tone of my Twitter commentary and Facebook commentary shifted especially after Trump was elected. It was like, oh, okay, this isn't a game. Like, these are real people, real lives, and the work I do impacts people on a human level, and I have a responsibility 
ability to participate in an ethical way, which has been, I mean, I'm still not even sure it's possible to sell real estate in an ethical way, not to be a downer, but um, I'm still profiting <laughs> off of it. So like clearly on the journey. <laughs> All right. So how exactly did your response and your audience change when you changed the tone? Well, when people in my community could see that I was willing to have a difficult conversation and like explore paradox, like they liked me better. Like I wasn't seen as this person trying to ruin the city. I was seen as a person who was like sincerely trying to understand and impact things in a positive way. And unfortunately, like a lot of the time that put me publicly in opposition to groups that, you know, like to other realtors. You know, a lot of the the policies that my association advocates for, I don't support personally. Um, you know, like things being a little more difficult for realtors when we're making so much money in, in my market, you know, like a little more difficult so that people aren't homeless. I'm, I'm fine with that. That's not, I don't expect every realtor to agree with that. That's my personal point of view. And so it aligned me with people in my community that realtors aren't typically aligned with. But what I've noticed is that as the market has recovered and younger people are coming back into the profession, um, you know, young people don't feel the same way about housing. They don't have the same assumptions about what housing policy should be and um, how taxation should work and all of that. So um, I, I really see the future holding a real sea shift in, in the real estate industry as, as the demographics of our industry change. I'm hopeful. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, now, let me ask you very specifically with regard to that. How is it that you can make such an impact or feel like you're making such an impact? Obviously, you have to have an audience that's sizable enough that you feel like you're actually getting out there and getting all this. So how do you track that? How do you even know if you're getting, other than obviously people contacting you, how does some, someone do that? The only way that matters. Like I think about this, I, I, when I, when I go to conferences and stuff, you'll, you'll see all these people trying to sell us stuff, you know, and they're like, this client had 10,000 visitors to his website per day and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't even care like how many people send you emails or lead magnet responses or like, I don't think any of that matters. I don't know. I, I, I tracked like how many people listen to my podcast for a long time. Like, I don't know that. I mean, I like to know that people are listening and that it matters and what topics are interesting to them. But ultimately what matters is who reaches out and transacts like, you know, it, from a commercial standpoint, like from a like work standpoint, then there's like more of the soul tanks standpoint and move to Tacoma has been really important in my personal education and my connection with meaning in my life, because I feel like my work matters a lot. And I didn't feel that way as much before. So there's there's two parts to it, like the impact, people saying like, I listened to that episode, I took this action, I changed this thing, I made that call to that legislator, like, you know, those kinds of things. And then also like, I closed enough deals, you know, through referral that I can live on sabbatical and read books and think for the first time, you know, in my life. <laughs> Which is supremely I, unique. Yeah, I mean, I went on a four-day silent meditation retreat and didn't have a phone or books. What's that all about? Like, a realtor doesn't understand not having a phone on, even when they're it's sleeping. So, it's so funny. I, I, I have this lady, I call her my phone nanny, and I pay her a day rate. She answers my text messages and emails when I want to take a break. And, like, I kind of joke about it on Facebook sometimes. I'm like, phone nanny's got the phone, guys. I'll be back in four days. And... People are just like, I get all these private messages from realtors like, what is a phone nanny? 
what do you mean you can be away from your family? How are you doing this? Like, teach me your ways. And I'm like, yeah, because like the first, but I, I warn anybody listening, because I realized in 2015, like I hadn't been away from my phone for more than a few hours in about 10 years. And I realized that must be having some impact on me. And I was doing a leadership training thing and they wanted us in the woods for five days. And that was the first time I had phone nanny. Like I had to, because like the phone wasn't going to work in the woods. And um, I felt so good. I felt so free. It was like dominoes falling. Like suddenly I was like, what am I doing with my life? How have I become a person that can't be away from a phone for more than a few hours without feeling like my whole career is going to fall apart and I'll never eat again? Like if you get a taste of the peace that comes from being truly disconnected, it could ruin your life. So I'm just throwing that out there for anyone listening. <laughs> it's fun to go to a silent meditation retreat because it's not fun. <laughs> All right, everybody out there getting started in real estate, don't try this if you want to be successful right off the bat. Maybe down the road a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and also, like, I mean, the biggest message I have for young me or for early me is, like, don't just look at success as houses sold. Because I had some idols in my early days that I know very well now. And it was very distressing to get to know them and realize that their lives weren't perfect. And that in many ways, they were actually quite unhappy. And I think look at the whole picture when you're looking at someone else's success and modeling your career path after them. Because there are a lot of ways to make money in this business. There are a lot of different ways to attract clients. And if you, if you build the wrong business for yourself, it can be like a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Now, before we started recording, we were having a discussion about, you know, the whole uh, concept of attracting customers versus going out there and, and chasing them. And, the reality is it's a great uh, model for your business, but it takes a long time to build that model. And if you're just getting started, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest relying on that completely um, because it'll take a while to build up that momentum, right? Yeah, I think there's like two problems with folks that work by attraction, which by the way, that's how I work. Like, I think it's the only way to go. I think it's the only way to be happy, like truly happy in real estate is to be attracting your ideal clients and to not be out there feeling like you have to close people all the time. Like you want people to choose you, to trust you, to show up pre-converted and ready to love on you and like transact with you. And like, that's the way to, that's the way to be. But when you're new, the problem with that is twofold. First, you don't know how to do the job. You're not trustworthy. You're not competent. It takes a couple years to get to the point where you can confidently go out there and really say, like, I'm great. It takes a while. And I think the other thing is you don't know who the heck you want to work with. Like, until we do the work, we don't know who we click with. We think we know. You know, we get in the business and we're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do luxury. I'm going to do investors. I'm going to do whatever. And then you start working with people and you realize, oh, God, these people are freaking exhausting or these people are indecisive. I was talking with a client of mine who got into real estate and he's very analytical. And he was talking about how he was describing my ideal client, basically people who were very emotional and needed to talk a lot. And he was like, I just want clients who are decisive, who just want the numbers. And I'm like, oh, I hate those clients. Oh, they exhaust me. Like I have to like look shit up for them all the time. And I, you know, they're like, you know, constantly like picking at me, like what, what more information? And he's like, oh my gosh, like we like completely different clients. I'm like, isn't that a beautiful thing? There's like a lid for every pot. <laughs> exactly. And that's a great thing for people to realize out there, especially when they're in the beginning. You know, you can focus on a particular type of client, a particular type of niche or niche <laughs> and uh, and focus on that. And yeah, you're going to get other people too, but people are going to click with you and other people aren't. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think it philosophically, it's easy to believe. 
I think most agents kind of philosophically want to believe that. But I think the only, you know, like they say, like what realization doesn't mean anything until it's lived. And the only way you can live that is if you have a bursting pipeline of people who love you. You have to have ideal clients, so full of ideal clients that when you meet a, a client and you're, no matter what they're spending, you can be like, oh, wow, I'm really excited for you. If I was doing what you were doing, I would work with so-and-so. And you have to believe when you refer them that the person you're referring to them, them to is going to do a better job than you. You have to like believe it in your soul. And if you believe that, like clients will generally not fall off. They'll be like, oh, okay, thanks for telling me. You know, you have to, you can't be chasing the, I'm saying you. I don't want to be chasing the money and, you know, getting sucked into something that's going to make my life a lot harder and be difficult and not be my ideal client. Um, be, I don't have to because I know there's plenty of good people coming in who want to work with me. And I mean, I say that now, like full referral, like there is no ideal client anymore, which is so funny. Like every client is an ideal client for someone else. And but it's just you have to be able to match them to the right person, though. This is and this is the work now. So now my job is meeting realtors all over the country and all over my community and getting to know them personally and keeping up on their bandwidth. And, you know, are they working really hard right now? Um, are they kind of pulling back? Are they, you know, have they been the one that's closing most of the condos in that building? You know, I had a client reach out to me that I sold a condo to three years ago and he was like, Hey, I'm thinking about listing. And I was like, Oh, I was like, well, you remember I don't work with sellers, right? He's like, oh, I'd forgotten that. And I was like, but there's this lady in my office that sold three units in your building this year and she's killing it and she's really good. And I think you should talk to her. And he was like, yeah, obviously. And then he was like, how much does she charge? And I was like, He's like, I can't remember how that part works. And I'm like, that's because you didn't pay the commission last time. I was like, now it's your turn, son. And he was like, ugh. And we got to have this very funny, candid conversation about, you know, you can get away with paying an agent this little, or you might be charged this much. And here's the difference in services you get. So go negotiate with her, because I get a referral of whatever she negotiates with him. But I'm able to advise him, like, really honestly, like, you get what you pay for. If you want video, if you want professional photography, which, you know, a condo is a product that needs to be packaged like a product, right? It needs to be launched. It's, you know, it needs to be standing out. Like, you got to pay for that and you'll make that money back. And he was like, thank you. Thank you for explaining that to me. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> feels so high integrity. And if he had been like, if he'd talked to my friend and been like, I need you to list this for 4% and she'd have been like, no way, because she's a baller. She's amazing. And he'd hired somebody else. I wouldn't have worried about it. And I'm like, he'll figure it out. You know, and that's, again, the pipeline, right? You exactly. Tell the truth and like, do your best. And if it doesn't work out, like, it's okay because you've got more clients coming in. Like, that's, that's the ideal. Yes, that's absolutely ideal. It takes a little while to get to that place. But everyone will, if they're doing the right things, get there. <laughs> yes. All right, let me ask you a question uh, going back. Have you ever had an assistant? Or have you all been solo? Or did you build a team? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have a work wife, Ann Jones, and we have a really unusual relationship. We started doing video together when we worked in the same office. We were friends. We never have worked together. We've never commingled our clients. We've referred back and forth, but we've never like done deals together or anything like that. And um, after we'd been friends and been making videos together, with separate businesses, but videos together, which is weird. Um, I had, she was much busier than me. She would do like 50 or 60 deals a year, whereas I was doing like half that. And, um, she, she really needed an assistant 
And I mean, I thought I could use a little help, but she really needed an assistant. <laughs> we should get an assistant and just, just split the cost. And like, she was like, yeah, yeah, that's good. And like within a year, she was like, I need this assistant all the time. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I had an assistant for a year and it was so great. It was so cool. Like I've never been more like following up. My expenses have never been so dialed in. Like it was pretty sweet. Um, I miss Tony. But, um, you know, when I went full referral, I, I didn't really need an assistant at all. The only the only person that I've hired that has really been a game changer for me was a year into move to Tacoma, I hired a content writer. And her name is Alyssa. She now has a business working for realtors, writing for realtors. Uh, it's called homescribecreative.com. And she's, she was like a miracle. Like I would pay her a monthly fee and she would write four blog posts for me and then take all of the content I'd created that month on move to Tacoma, either the blog posts, podcasts I'd done and turn them into to an email newsletter that she would send out to people who could subscribe to the newsletter. And I'd never been so consistent. Like, you know, I, what I told you, like, I'm just kind of a spastic, like sometimes I want to do it. Sometimes I don't. And she like the, it like leveled up that website so much. I was so scared to commit to like a monthly payment to her as a contractor, but it really changed the game. And she would post to the social media. And sometimes she would even like respond to comments if she was like around to it. Like she was just she was amazing. And that was a real, that was a real game changer. And now I'm on sabbatical and like, I'm being a little thrifty and I'm writing my own stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I've forgotten how hard this is. Cause she would interview me. She'd be like, and she would, she could approximate my voice. She like, you know, she would, she would write like me and she would just be like, okay, so what are we talking about this month? And I'm like, I think you should interview this, this owner of this restaurant. And I think that you should write a guide to Tacoma gay pride. And these are the three things that I think we should feature and like maybe talk to this person and get an idea. She would just like take notes, go do it, get pictures. Like she just knew how to do that. So was she local or close by? Yeah. So she had been a, a college student at the local university and graduated and um, she was working doing like online marketing for Zulily. I don't know if you guys have that in Canada. Um, and she just like wanted to freelance and now she's full time. Like all she does is she managed, she, she does a few different things and largely in real estate doing content and advising and all of that kind of stuff. Like it's her career now. Super weird. So after investing so much of your effort and time into creating your own voice to hand that off must have been a pretty big deal. Well, I didn't really hand it off. I handed off the day to day. Sure. And, you know, like at that time, the day to day was, you know, things like interviewing a restaurant owner or what are the five best vegan restaurants? Or if I was like, I was featured on an interview um, with our school district to have, they have like a little channel and we talked about good schools and how the real estate industry views schools. And she wrote an article about that and embedded the video. Like she was doing more of like the maintenance content, the more controversial content I still wrote. Like no one else can write that for you. No doubt. Right? <laughs> no doubt. Like how to survive Tacoma's overheated rental market. Like it was so competitive and like the real talk of like, if you've got a pet, you are screwed. Let's talk about like, it's, it's, it's going to be really hard. Like, what do you have to do? Like, you know, that she wasn't going to write that post. Um, but I could still write it and I was freed up to write the fun stuff. So when someone's at that level where they've been producing for a little while and maybe they need a little bit of help, like you did just to sort of fill the in between, uh, what, I mean, give me a range here what kind of cost are you looking at and what, what are you expecting? Like from this to this, I'm sure you did some research on it. I mean, I, I know exactly what I spend and I, I spend a lot and I'm, you know, I think as my, my financial coach says that like what I spend is not a lot for what I earn. So I'm thinking about like that year with 87 referrals. I think 
with web stuff, like, cause I'd done a website, like, I think I spent $30,000. That was hiring the content writer, hiring the web designer, like throwing parties for clients. That was like everything. That was like taking clients out to dinner. That was That's like not much. thing I did. And I grossed $255,000 that year. So like that seems like a good ratio to me. Yeah. Uh, especially since like I was really, and I am even on sabbatical to the chagrin of my financial coach, like I don't want to do shit I don't want to do anymore. I just don't. So like when I was living in Tacoma, like I had a lady that did my laundry. I don't have a wife at home, Lauren. I don't need to do that stuff. Like I don't like <laughs> to write that blog post. I don't have to write. If I don't want to, maybe I even write the blog post and then I email it and somebody else formats it. Because I did that stuff for years. Like I built my first blog. Like it's hard. And like once you get to the point where you don't have to do that anymore, get out of it. Pay somebody else to do it. Like realtors making three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year that are like driving around, like stressed out, picking up their own lock boxes. I'm like, what? Look at your life. Look at your choices. Like delegate. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're talking to me directly right now. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was driving everywhere the other day in the pitch black darkness in like rural section of where I'm working and living. And I'm like, what am I doing? Well, and especially in 2019, like, oh, my God, compared to 2005, like it's the gig economy. You know, we have services like TaskRabbit. And it's like basically people saying, like, pay me twenty five dollars an hour and I'll do anything you want. You know, like I haven't assembled any of this furniture in my apartment. When I moved to Portland, I just like messaged this lady, Kelsey, and she came over and, I, and for $150, I didn't break a nail. Like I didn't have to like read instructions and she loves it. She, like, she, she was like, I like get off on like assembling furniture. I think these challenges are so interesting. And that's how like Alyssa loves writing. Like, you know, like Tony loved like taking care of Ann and I and like running around and getting lock boxes and like scanning our receipts and like doing, she loved organizing people. And like, that's the thing is like everybody doing their job and helping each other be successful. And I think two things I would say about that is first, if you're like not, you know, if you're not making a ton of money, finding people who are just getting started out, it means you have to guide them more and manage them more and check on them more, but you will get a better deal. Second of all, when you have some success, pay for good people. I think realtors can be real freaking cheap and, um, good people, well paid, get good results for you and they stick around. And like that matters more than anything. Like after a while, like it's the turnover that will kill you. Like the people who just can't seem to delegate, who make tons of money, who are still driving around doing all their own stuff. It's because they can't rely on people. And if you're paying someone minimum wage and like being a realtor with them, which is being very stressful because nobody works as hard as us, like we're stressful to work for because we're stressed out. Like you got to pay people to deal with people like us. Pay them well. I agree. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Of course, I hope my future assistant doesn't hear me say that, but you know, <laughs> that's okay. All right. So this is a question that I ask everybody right now, and this is going to be really interesting for you to answer because you are completely <laughs> in a different, unique situation. But if you were to start in real estate all over again, or let's say you had uh, a brother, sister, nephew, niece, somewhere else in North America that wanted to start in real estate, what would be your advice to them to get off the ground the best way possible? Well, my niece started in real estate three years ago. Really? So I actually had <laughs> a little taste of this. I was shocked because she did go to college and, you know, she's so smart and 
she told me over dinner, she's like, I'm thinking I'd like, might want to get, get into real estate. Actually, I think she said, what would you say to a young person thinking about getting into the industry? I'm like, oh my God, like we need you, like whatever. And then she was like, what about me? And I was like, oh, not you. You went to college. Like you're going to do something real with your life. <laughs> and she was like, I want to make money. And I was like, well, okay. And so I told her, you will make money. You'll probably make more money than you thought you could. And you will work harder for yourself than you would ever work for anybody else. And you will find that there's never a time you don't want to make money. And so you'll notice that other parts of your life recede because you're giving it up for the dollar. And that's the thing you have to monitor. And then um, she, because she had lived with me and, you know, she was my niece, she'd seen only like sort of the branding side of things. That was what she'd been exposed to. She started watching a lot of HGTV. And I was like, girl, that has nothing to do. Like the branding and the HGTV is not the job. And I told her, like, you have to focus on learning how to do the job. And it took her a couple years to, to really get confident. Um, just like me, we're very similar. But once she did, once she knew her own mind, she did things very differently. And I, I, I mean, she's, she's content oriented, like she makes videos, she writes the odd blog post, but she has very different niche. She's an introvert. Um, she's a minimalist. Um, she's more geographically flexible than I am. Like she'll, she'll work a lot of places I won't work. She'll drive further, but she's also pickier about clients than I am. Like she, she really needs clients to respect her. And I think she's a little bit of a diva sometimes, but she's got a full, <laughs> she's got a full pipeline of clients. So I think like, I don't know, I, I guess I'm repeating myself a little bit on this, but the thing is, is like, you got to do the job. You got to know how to do the job really well before any of the marketing stuff really matters at all. And that's the, that's the stressful part of it is because, you know, we know that the marketing works, we know the content marketing works, but how do you talk about real estate before you know about real estate for real? But that's then true. there's a catch 22. So how do you learn about doing real estate when you don't have an opportunity because you have no clients? Yeah. So for me, that involves sucking up to a lot of senior agents, you know, <laughs> like, you know, that involves working floor that involves like, you know, I, 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 I told the like Karen shadowed me, Karen is my niece, you know, she would come with me on appointments before I would pay her. Like she would, I was like, okay, come watch me meet with these buyers and see how I talk to them and see how I answer their questions and learn along. The other thing is by then I'd made like 40, um, Q and a videos with my friend, Anne about, you know, what's an appraisal, what to expect when you're inspecting, like what's the difference between a condo and a townhouse and how they get financed. And, um, I told her like, I know this sounds silly, but watch all my videos. It's all in there. And I tell new agents that all the time. I'm like, I know this probably sounds like a diva move, but like, <laughs> I wish I'd had access to these videos. Cause in the, in the videos, we tell the stories of this is, this is my strategy. And then she would be like, Oh yeah, I don't do it that way. This is my strategy. Because we all know if you ask a realtor, what should I do? You'll every realtor will tell you something different because different things work for different people. So it's all about like just getting exposure to the process um, and hoping that somebody hires you. And you still suggest maybe creating that content attraction sort of uh, mentality and business model? Yeah. And, and I think like content in the beginning and, and what I told Karen was like, you know, share your journey with the people in your life. Because since the attrition rate, like the fallout rate in, in real estate is so high, consumers, you know, the, the average client, our friends are like, yeah, I've known a lot of people that got into real estate that didn't stick with it. You know, we know, and we know they're thinking that. And so like making them a part of your journey of becoming a realtor, I think is interesting content for new people. And so it was like, you know, she would do Instagram stories and blog posts about like, so did you know? That like on Tuesdays, the real estate industry, the real estate people in this town have like secret open houses with snacks 
and they all hang out and uh, go to these houses and like we don't even get to do that like this is so interesting and like it's tour day that means I get snacks you know like it's funny and it's interesting and you know like showing people what it's really like to do our job and sometimes that's writing deals at the office at 10 o'clock at night and being really happy about it because you've been working with this client for like three months and they finally found like the right place you know like sharing the that kind of behind the scenes not the bs hgtv stuff like i'm just so not interested in like making our business look sexier than it is i think the raw real aspects of our business are fascinating to people and sharing that as you learn about it it kind of puts people in your court like in your camp and then they're rooting for you way before they know they're going to need you as a realtor but they're like you know they're growing with you and you have to be careful you don't want to overshare you don't want to say things that make you seem untrustworthy or incompetent ever but like, I think a little vulnerability and a little openness goes a long way. So a lot of this would be through something like Instagram stories, Facebook live, a video interaction. Yeah. Or a blog post or, I mean, I don't, I don't do a ton of Facebook live. I'm trying to think other than at conferences, if I've ever gone live on Facebook live, I tend to do more packaged video, you know, and I pay somebody, uh, although these days you don't even have to do that. Like the iPhones are so, so good. Even the audio, you can do some pretty cool candid videos. But yeah, I mean, there's some amazing agents uh, that have fascinating lives on Instagram stories that I love watching. Who might some of those be? Give them some plugs. Well, my work wife, Ann Jones, at Tacoma Jones. Um, I like Paige Schulte in Gig Harbor, at Paige Schulte, S-C-H-U-L-T-E. And I just met this girl here in Portland, actually. Paige came down to visit me, and she was like, you need to meet this realtor, Lauren in Portland on Instagram. And I was like, I'm not interested in meeting any real estate people here. I'm kind of kind of laying low. And she's like, no, no, she's just like you. She's a Margarita Portland. I'm like, I don't want to meet the Margarita Portland. That sounds <laughs> terrible. And I went to her Instagram. It's Lauren Gaucher at L-A-U-R-E-N-G-O-C-H-E. And I watched her stories and it was downright creepy, Lauren. Downright creepy. Like, like looking in a mirror? Looking in a mirror. She has curly hair but it's dark curly hair with bangs and she's blue eyes. We're the same height, same weight. I messaged her. I was like, you can look at my Instagram if you want. Like, I think we need to meet. And she was like, Oh my God. (laughs) So we meet and we like had happy hour for like four hours and like talked about all these things. And it turns out, you know, we were born nine days apart. We do business in a very similar way. We're both interested in like, you know, anti-racist work in the real estate industry. There aren't a lot of like real estate agents that like talking about white supremacy and like upending the like, you know, systemic racism within our industry. We're a rare breed. So that was a weird connection. Her dog's named Matilda. My cat's named Matilda. It's creepy. The racist thing in the industry, (laughs) the racist thing in the industry just threw me off because remember, we're coming from two different worlds, basically. So I'm in, you know, Canada and everything's sort of very crayon box. Well, we are though. I mean, I, I guess because I don't see that here. Well, I'm sure it's it's everywhere. Yeah, white people don't see systemic racism in the real estate industry because we we benefit from it and we don't experience it. But like, I had a great conversation at the Realtor.com conference this fall with um, Evan Sage from Sage Real Estate in Toronto. Yeah, and he kind of yep. said he's so he's such a nice guy, and he was like yeah, you know, you guys have this whole history of like institutionalized racism in the U.S. and we just we just don't have that in Canada. And I was like. Are you sure, Evan? Because I'm pretty sure your grandparents didn't live next to black people. And he's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, he's like, but that was just kind of a coincidence. And I was like, no, I don't think it was, Evan. I'm pretty sure there were like rules about where black people could live in Canada, too. And he was like, 
hmm, you're probably right. I'm going to find out about that. And he's so cool. He sent me a message a few weeks later and he was like, Marguerite, I've been like researching like the history of racism in Canada. And you're right. It's racist here too. I was like, whoa. Yeah. So we all have, I mean, it, it's not, I didn't ever think about any of this stuff until like people I liked and trusted were willing to say like, hey, some of the shit you do is really racist. And I'm not saying you're a horrible person, but um, the impact of your work is not benefiting everyone the same. And that was the beginning of like a whole journey that I'm still on that I really can't speak to like in any kind of competent way. I'm just trying to learn. Very interesting. I've never even thought about it. So I asked my niece, my other niece, who's like a radical, uh, <laughs> radical, like activist. one of those hipsters. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Hey, I want to be like a good white realtor. Like what kind, I want to start a Facebook group of like other white realtors that are learning how to be good white people. What? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was very serious. Like we're going to read books. We're going to learn about the history of racism. And, um, what would our platform be? And she was like, are you serious right now? And I was like, yes, I'm serious. Like it's an ethical obligation. And she said, everything you have ever bought and sold, every piece of property was obtained through theft, treachery, and murder. You cannot practice birthday ethically. And I was like, I know. I mean, I know about that. But like, if we could, like, what would that look like? And she's like, no, no, you can't. I mean, you're gonna, you're, you live in capitalism. You have to sell houses. That's your job. You didn't go to college. It's your, it's your gig. But just know that like, you can't do it and help people like everybody, you're only going to help some people. And so you have to be intentional about what that looks like for you. And it was a game changer for me. And I, now I'm a radical. I like caught it. It's like the flu. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be sure to keep my distance just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take it. Don't take the pill. No, take the pill. Think about it. It matters. It's very interesting. Like I said, I haven't thought about it, and it definitely opens up my mind to uh, to new things. So thank you for that. Um, any parting words? You mentioned some books, okay? So if somebody wants to get into you know content creating, is there anything that they should check out to learn? Man, these days, books. I mean, I, I feel like I haven't read a book about content marketing in a long time. I really liked all the Gary Vaynerchuk stuff, but now like I watch his videos and he drives me freaking nuts. So I don't know. I think, you know, there's so much out there. I love, I love reading and listening to non real estate industry podcasts as a way of like figuring out what I like and what I resonate with and trying to figure out how to present real estate content in that way. So I really like, I, I think you can just like Stephen King says, you can read anything. You can listen to anything and just notice um, what you like about it. And then of course there are just the greats in real estate that are just doing a really great job of content. Melanie Pichet in Toronto of get what you want.ca. Like she's the most amazing real estate blogger. Um, there's this girl, she's a woman, she's 36. Um, her name's Leslie Heindel in new Orleans. And she has this blog called be new Orleans.com. She's only been in the business three years. She did 65 deals last year. Wow. She's a content marketer. She's a hustler. She writes great content. She's an amazing voice. Um, the divas team diva real estate in Seattle, Chavi and Kim, they're activists, they're realtors, their whole team's gay. They're so cool. Like everybody wants to be like the divas. Like they, they do things that you never thought would get clients and they have the biggest following of loyal clients and their content is so creative and, and, and unusual. You know, like if you just open your eyes and look, there's so many people doing interesting things across the country and just make it your own. That's the thing that I want people to really understand is make it your own. There has been a history, unfortunately, of some people looking at other 
that are doing well and just sort of taking it. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's not cool at all. Take it as inspiration and go and do your own thing. Well, you know what's great, Lauren, is it doesn't work when you just take it. It never works because it has to be an extension and an expression of your thing. Or when the client meets you, they're going to realize, like, this is not the source of that exciting, interesting thing I saw. Like, and that creates mistrust. It's like having a picture that doesn't look like you. That's right. And it's, it's like you said, it's through a voice that's creating a certain type of content that's going to call out to a certain type of client. And that's not you. And you're not going to connect. So have your own voice and connect with the people that you really want to connect with. That's how you'll find your success. Absolutely. And, you know, my the most pro tip on that is connect with people outside of your immediate marketplace that are doing what you want to do and become friends with them and share with them and share your secrets. Um, because it, I, I hate when people say you don't have to reinvent the wheel because I love trying to reinvent the wheel. But some things you don't have to read. There's not there's there's things that don't need to be learned the hard way. So as much as you can, because there's plenty to still learn the hard way. So like, oh, yeah. learn you can from people who are doing it well. Like what this podcast is all about, just saying. This podcast. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story and have an enjoyable, amazing, creative time doing what you're doing because it's a really interesting journey and I'd love to find out kind of where it goes, where the next steps are. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for being willing to have such like an open, uh, ridiculous winding conversation. <laughs> hey, that's what it's all about, being open and learning, right? Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. I just wanted to say thank you so much. I truly appreciate you for your support and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, share this all over social media, and especially share it with a realtor that you know that might be having a difficult time finding their own path to success. I'll see you on the next episode.